we're in the middle of Hanukkah, I'd like to discuss something. I've got a lot in my mind, but what's on my mind may not necessarily be on your mind. In fact, probably it isn't. So what's on your mind? What do you think about? What do you feel is an important? What's a need to address right now going on in your worlds? Jared, Josh, Rowan, Yitzi, Steve, Fosties, Rachis, Let's, uh, no? What's going on? What do you want to talk about? Do you want this to be a Saturday year or not a good idea? Sorry? Um, is it a good idea to bring up bad news right now in, in lieu of that? Or is it better if I, you know, keep things on a lighthearted note? What's the bad news? Well, so, um, one of this, uh, this person that I knew in college, I wasn't like that close with them, but you know, I knew them. Um, and they recently passed away. What happened? Well, they took their own life. Suicide. Suicidality. Suicide is a bit of a insane topic to talk about, right? Suicidality, I think, is like, is, is, is way on the rise. It's almost become like a, a thing. Never used to be a thing. If you go back even a decade, Suicidality wasn't really a topic of discussion. It wasn't like something that was, that was, that was like openly explored. Suicidality was like, there'd be like a freak suicide and it would be like it was a shocking thing. But now it's like, I'm pretty sure that we all know, either directly or indirectly, a young person that's taken their own life. Yes, am I right in that? Yeah. Okay. So, so, so that's, that's quite jarring for me. That's, that's very, very jarring. Um, when I was in Australia recently, so one of the most scenic walks goes, goes along a cliff edge and there's, uh, there's, a, there's a particular part of the cliff. It's called the gap. And I don't know what, how many, I haven't known the numbers, but multiple people over the year, over the course of year will throw themselves off and commit suicide. It's so like around that area, there, there, there's, there's like emergency helplines and, you know, there's, there's a sign that if you, if you think things aren't going that well for you, maybe call this number. But which is, which is, which is, which means that there's actually a geographical feature which is looked upon as the, the suicide spot. So, so for me, that, that's very, very, very troubling. Troubling that we're living in, in a time of, in the Western world, where there's never ever been more abundance, I don't think the the average lifestyle of even the lowest socioeconomic group is parallel to the lifestyles of the rich and famous of yesteryear. Just the amount of conveniences and accessibilities that the average modern person has just in in a normal modern kitchen, even if it's a poor kitchen, would require an entire team of people to facilitate electricity alone the fact that I can walk to the side of a room and just touch a switch and all of a sudden my room is lit up would require multiple people previously to prepare gas or candle lighting 
they would have to run around lighting it. They would have to maintain them. They'd have to make sure that they, they every time you wanted to turn them out, you have to get a whole lot of people to go snuff it out and then come back and relight it. Just the amount of effort they were required just simply to have lighting was a huge feat. A washing machine, which we take for granted, would require hours of going down to a stream using very crude detergent materials. Dog feces, for example, is a great cleansing agent. And then sitting there and, true story, and, and, and rubbing, rubbing the clothes until they became clean. So we're living in a life where humanity, for sure in the Western world, has never lived a more abundant and, um, prosperous lifestyle. And at the same time, we could argue that the level of anxiety, depression, and suicidality has never been higher, which seems to indicate that material wealth isn't necessarily a predictor of emotional wealth or or happiness. And it would be interesting to explore the correlation between what would create that sense of a vibrant, livable life as opposed to a life which is unlivable. And I suppose suicidality is the ultimate expression of unlivability, that my life becomes so unbearable that I actually want to terminate it, which, which, which is just so, so heartrending that, you know, when you have young lives cut short through, the, through people's own volition, it's, it's like it's, it's too terrifying to even, you know, to... to, to, to to like meditate on because it's just, it's, it's just, it's just horrific. It's just, it's, it's, so, so let's think not about, because I have an idea. I'm sure there's many factors and variables that go into it. I think that now that because we're living in this world where everything is so much easier than it was before that people don't really have to worry about surviving anymore. And so their minds are free to think about other things and then you live in this world where it lacks any objective meaning. In other words, you could argue that that affluence carries with it the curse of boredom. And uh, in that space that we have to ponder the deep questions of life, we, we don't come up with great answers, and maybe that's what drives us to the unlivability of life. Definitely the rates of, you know, these rates of emotional issues are not expressed in developing countries. I suppose when you, when you know, when you're trying to find food to eat, you don't have time for an existential crisis. Because <laughs> existential crisis is a piece of bread. But when, when everything's taken care of, so then you're just left with yourself. So on the one hand, one would have thought, well, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing just to have the time and the capability to sit there and to properly explore the depth of the human condition and not to be distracted by the constant pressure of survival? Now we've got to the gifted point where we can actually have hours and hours per day which we're free of labor, which is an exception to the rule of history. We literally can, depending on the person, but for sure, weekends, weeks of total freedom from any kind of burden of making sure that I'm surviving the next day. So one would have thought that freed up time would allow us to enrich our lives to the nth degree and become way happier. We should be the happiest people that ever lived.
So I, I would venture to say maybe something's gone wrong. Maybe something's gone wrong, and maybe yes. I, I, there's a small flip that I want to make to what you were saying. Is that I don't think it's that, that an individual has has met his needs and that, and and now he's left to think. And I, I think it might have something more to do with that. There's so much abundance that a person doesn't feel as needed. In other words, um, two hundred years ago, um, even if you thought I hate I, I hate living and feel like I'm in constant pain, but it's like. But that's I need to set that aside because I have my parents that I need to work on their farm for because otherwise they'll have a struggle in the winter. I need like there's like and there's meaning in itself to that. That like I have to work to be able to make sure that my family survives. And then there's like I need to work that my children survive. But like nowadays there's such an abundance. But there's also like I don't, I don't think people would feel that way. Like it, I, so you're saying it's not only about the survival of self, but it's also the role that I play in, in the structure of a community or a family that right now you could argue that most people say, well, if I wouldn't live, so what would collapse? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, I hate to be real about it, but like if I, if something happened to me today, I'm not worried that my wife will die of starvation. She'll have a really sad time and then she'll move on. It doesn't have the same, you meaning it's almost as if the the society that we live in has taken off the the edge and the relevance on a most basic level of our existence. I mean, that's maybe a good thing for us to think about ourselves. Think about if you, Khalila, passed away tomorrow, would there be anything dramatically missing from the world? Like, what would happen? And if the answer to that question is, well, not much, well, then the translation of that is my life is really not that relevant. I'm not, my life is not, I'm not really, I'm not really like doing much. If, if, if you'd subtract me from the equation of existence, so then, so then, so then what am I doing? Maybe that's a good way to think. Or in other words, just to get in touch with like, what, what am I doing? What am I actually doing? So I suppose the question of, of suicidality is the inverse of asking the question of what is there to live with? What is there to live for? What, what, what am I here for? What am I doing? What, what is the relevance? What, what, why should I? And what's interesting in contrast to suicidality, I think it's, it's, it's the same thing, but it's almost the opposite. What about um, self-sacrifice? Which, which essentially, essentially looks cosmetically like the same act. A person that decides to give, give up his life for a higher cause. He, he, he runs into a building which is on fire to save a child at the risk of his own life. And he may not come out. So you have a kind of a cutting short through his volition of his life, which is like approximates suicidality in its technique. But there's such a difference between the two. So let, let's think about the difference between self-sacrifice and suicidality. Self-sacrifice is, I suppose, when I recognize that there's something larger than my own life. There's something, there's something more, there's something more to living than just my life. My life in a bigger picture is just a small part, but there's something which transcends it. For example, when a person dives into a uh, a building on fire 
to save the life of the people inside. So then he recognizes that there's a value which is higher than his own life, which is saving the lives of others. That value is even greater than his own personalized existence. Meaning, if he stands by the building and he watches people go to their death because he didn't intervene, that act of refraining from giving himself over is a um, I don't know how to express it in words. Let, let, let's try create the scene. He's staying by the building. He's got a choice. He can he can jump jump in and save people's lives, but he he takes the risk of dying. Or he could stand by and knowing that he could have saved people, but he's he's assured of his safety. So let's think what 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 kind of happens when he chooses to the the path of self sacrifice as opposed to when he chooses the path of self preservation. When he chooses the path of self sacrifice, he's valuing something which goes above his own selfish needs. He's saying there's something beyond me that there's actually the existence of the other or the act of rescue is so high that it even transcends my own personal experience of life. There's something, there's a value that extends beyond my existence. Suppose value changes existence into life, the meaning. There's something meaning. So there's a meaning which transcends. In other words, if I'm just here to exist and to function and to, to, to live materially and then pass away, so then, then my entire life is encapsulated by my experience of being. But if there's something that I'm willing to give up my life for, it shows that my life is larger than the experience of my existence. It's transcendent. And there's expansive quality to who I am. And then one could argue the self-sacrifice is embracing the notion that without that, if it would stood by the building and not volunteer to save, it may be that instead of me expanding myself, I contracted myself, and therefore, ironically, it's a life which, which is meaningless. And if it's meaningless, well, it doesn't make a difference if I'm alive today or not, because there's no, there's no, there's nothing beyond this. So, so with that switch, ironically, it could be that the person that takes the, the, the step to rescue people in need has, even if, even in his death, he's a, he's alive because he's identified with a point which transcends the accident of existence and he's honed into something which is a value which is larger by by subscribing to it he becomes it and he manifests that in this act of self-sacrifice and in that act of self-sacrifice because it's aligned to this ideal essentially he gains a handle on transcendence and his personal life may have been snuffed out but his transcendent life perpetuates forever it's a little bit like the idea of the relationship between the conceptual and the material material now if i look at my watch and I say to myself, well, what's, what's more real? The, the watch or my, the idea of the watch. So we'd say, well, the watch, I can touch, I can feel it, I can, I can hear it clink and 
And can you have a mechanism working within? So then I take a hammer, I smash my watch to smithereens, but I know the watchmaker, he knows the material to use, and he has the plan of the watch in his head, and he just recreates it. So really the watch never got destroyed, because the watch is just a manifestation of an idea, but the idea perpetuates forever. So when I grasp myself, not in the material sense, but in the conceptual sense, and I relate to myself as an entity that's here to create value and that has certain, that all my physical being is, is a manifestation. So if all my physical being is, is a manifestation, say for example, of kindness and concern, so when I don't express that by standing aside and not saving the person, I've betrayed my essence. When I do express that, so I've regained a handle on my real self. And even though my material body may disintegrate, but I've associated, I've connected to a higher part of self, which is transcendent. It's not limited by the physical manifestation. And therefore, that act of self-sacrifice, which looks like death, could be a step into life. And the act of saving my life, instead of looking like life, it's actually death. Because one is a perishable and one is a transcendent. One is temporal and one is eternal. So ironically, connecting to the value system which transcends my personal expression and experience of life elevates me to a point where my life can never be snuffed out. The material form that I have can disappear in the space of course and time, and it will, because people are mortal. But the core of my being, if I'm living to, if I'm living up to standards and meanings and values, so then I'm just a manifestation of those values. And if those values are true and real, so then I never disappear. And that's an amazing insight into life and death. In that, conti- in that, in that continuum, it could be like this, 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 this incredible realization um, that sometimes dying can be living and sometimes living can be dying. That if I associate myself with the meaning of contributing to a higher cause and that this body, these strengths, these talents, this life that I have is purely there to manifest kindness or concern or, and this is just what it is. So when it does that, so then those principles don't expire. So the, the particular expression, which is me, may, the principle lasts forever. Whereas when I contract into myself and I say, well, all there is is me and there's nothing beyond me. I'm not a manifestation of anything and I'm not living for any kind of higher ideal. Well, then it really is irrelevant if I'm alive today or not. There's no relevance. There's no transcendent. And therefore, ironically, the more I become self-centered, the more I lose my accessibility to transcendent life and the more I extend myself, the more I get access, which is ironic because it means the more I invest in catering to my own personal needs, the further away I get from true life. And the more I focus on extending myself, the closer I get to true life. And therefore, it's almost, it's, it's inverted perception to the one I would have. I would think that my life becomes the best when I make sure that the creature comforts are intact, when I make sure all my needs are met. Ironically, when the focal point of myself is getting all those needs and sucking them inside of me, that's when I become the smallest, the most contracted, and the most irrelevant. 
And when I do the opposite and I make sure that other people have what they need, I make sure that I'm contributing, I make sure that my presence is impacting others, so then the less I take into consideration my own needs, the more present I become, and therefore there's this, this, this counterintuitive flip where the more I care about others, the less about myself, the more me there is. The less I care about others, the more I care about myself, the less me there is. The, the more I care about myself, the smaller I am, the more I care about others, the bigger I am. Which, which is the, the spiritual precedent for this is the way that Abraham is described is Av Hamoin Graham, which means the father of many nations. And his, his appellation is Hagadol, the great. Big. He was big. Why was he big? Because he cared about everyone. What makes you big? Well, if I care about myself small, if I care about two or three people, I'm getting bigger. If I care about ten people, even bigger. If I care about a thousand people, even bigger. If I care about the whole world, I'm gigantic. Because my sense of being extends all, all along the universe. And if I have that perception, so then my entire respect for my own life becomes totally accentuated and elevated because if my life is so precious that the universe hinges on it I have to be extremely cautious with everything that I do and how I use those those incredible powers and strengths that I have and then the sense of purpose and value and excitement and direction becomes almost almost palpable in my excitement when I wake up in the morning. I wake up in the morning and go, oh, wow, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do. I'm driven. There's no, you know, the, the, the notion of sitting there and looking for something to kill time with is, is absurd. I'm going to kill time, really. Killing time is, 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 is a miniature form of suicide because the way life is expressed is through the passage of time. So if I want to kill time, it means in those moments, I'm trying to figure out how not to be alive. But if I want to be alive, alive means getting out of the selfish confines which restrict me from the contribution to the world. And therefore, it's... So it could be as communities become fractured and society becomes encapsulated by, instead of groups, social groups functioning together and taking other people's considerations and needs into, into consideration, as we become more insulated... So we lose that, and the greater the insulation is, the more separated we become, the more separated we become, the more irrelevant we become to the larger whole, and ultimately we may look at ourselves in the mirror and say, well, if if my existence doesn't really make a difference to anyone, well, if I'm having a bad day, why don't I just end it? I mean, no loss. Which, if you consider what a person could contribute, becomes the horrific tragedy of suicide. It's almost a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a repositioning of our perspective of self and trying to look at ourselves instead of measuring our life force by what we're getting, we measure our life force by what we're giving. And then in the Hanukkah story that becomes extremely relevant because the Hanukkah story was all about self-sacrifice. You had a, you had a group of people that they were completely outnumbered and, um, underqualified to engage in battle and they did it anyway because they understood that war was not about military prowess 
It was about identifying to the nth degree with the ideal which I hold dear to me. And my ability to, 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 to go to war, to enter into battle was an expression of this ideal is so deep and powerful that it's bigger than my life. How to express it? If you oppose and try to take it away from me, I will not give up. And that self-sacrifice trumps transcendence because it's a declaration of my life is just a manifestation of a much higher ideal. But really, everything that is important extends beyond the parameters and barriers of my own personal existence. Which means this little life force that burns inside of me will never go out because it's connected to a higher power, a higher system, a higher being, a higher value system. We should mean that if I'd like to express in visual form the notion of transcendent self-sacrifice and I'd pick a candle to do it, the way it would be expressed is a candle that never goes out. Because there's a recognition that the light that's burning within is not oil and wick. The oil and the wick is just a bearer of the light. And if I'd like to express that the light never gets snuffed out, so then the candle will never get extinguished. And if you think about it, we create the festival of Hanukkah around the miracle of a candle burning eight times, but really that wasn't the miracle. That was a miracle which was completely unnecessary and avoidable. So what happens if they decided not to light the candle? What would happen? Nothing. You can't do it. You, can't do it. you didn't find any oil, so you, there's no oil. What do you do? Well, you wait and refine oil. What would happen? Nothing. What would happen if the, they lost the war? Well, there'd be no... The spiritual tradition, tradition of Judaism would be blotted off the face of history. So where was the miracle? The miracle was in the miracle of survival and triumph. So why do we express it with candles? What's that got to do with anything? Because the candles are the expression of what the war was about. The war wasn't about military might. The war was about how deeply I believe in the ideals that I cherish. And if you're going to take those away from me, when are you taking away my life? And therefore I'll give up my life for that. So the miracle was actually, the miracle was when I decide that my life is transcendent, then my life becomes transcendent, and then I no longer have to play by the rules of normal physicality, and then we enter into the realm of the supernatural. In the realm of the supernatural, the normal laws of cause and effect are arrested, and therefore the single motley crew of individuals can, can outmaneuver the might of the greatest army of the time. Because the, the few against many is only a factor when the cause and effect are within the natural realm. But if they're dealing with superpowers, which extend beyond the parameters of the physical power, well then, there's no limit to one man with one finger can extinguish an entire army of 50,000 people. And the way you express that is through the nation notion of light, because light is the medium which creates visibility, and as we've discussed multiple times, there's two kinds of lights. There's a light which I use to light up my world, switch on the torch, a flashlight or a 
ceiling light. That's a light that I use for myself. And there's a light which gives me insight and understanding. That's the light that's above me. That allows me visibility to peer into something that extends beyond the parameters of being. Beyond the parameters of my own selfish, self-constructed reality. Something beyond. And therefore, the notion of light expanding beyond its boundaries is synonymous to saying, myself has no boundaries to it, can also expand. Because since I can access that light, it means I can live in a plane that's not limited by the physical realm. And that the barriers of my own physical structure are not limitations, they're just concretizations of a higher force. So I know that was, that was, that was rather abstractly expressed, but I think that's the antidote to depression. Because that what the Gemara says, like, uh, so they came himself in cruel time? Correct. 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 Yaakov Avinu Loimais.